Okay, hello everyone and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... Peter Wesley Salmon. Hope you all are doing good down there. <laughs> and how did you celebrate uh, Barbillion on the weekend? Uh, <laughs> Barbie oh, making Bar-Billion. a billion dollars. Yeah, Barbillion. I'm not sure. I didn't really celebrate it. And I, I feel <laughs> kind of bad. I betrayed the I betrayed the Barbie. <laughs> the Barbie. The. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know what? I actually, in just happenstance, I, uh, I wore pink socks. So there you go. <laughs> it wasn't like mentally intentional, but I feel like my heart my heart knew what was up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I honestly, for me, it's like I, I if you go back what like I don't know, six years, seven years, or no, actually maybe ten on the dot, and like you're watching Francis Ha, right? Are, mm-hmm. are you really gonna think the first woman <laughs> billionaire film is gonna be through her? Greta no. Gerwig, you know? Like good no. good honor for that, honestly. Yeah, no, nothing about Francis Haas has one billion dollars in the future. Um, yeah, no, congrats <laughs> on Barbie, absolutely. <laughs> End credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We're here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be the new animated superhero film, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. Mutants in the title twice there, I just realized. Anyway, you can now see that in a theater near you for the first half of the show. It's, well, I mean, it's not the end of summer. Technically, the end of summer is September the 20th. Uh, but uh, for, our, for our intents and purposes, because uh, we're taking the next couple of weeks off, uh, we're, we're marking the end, the official end, or the unofficial end, perhaps, of the summer movie season by giving out some of our summer movie awards. I don't think we've done this before, but we're going to act like we do this every year just mm-hmm. for uh, consistency's sake and you know if you want to go back into the archives to see if we've been consistent this whole time i'm obviously not going to stop you but uh it's our annual summer movie awards okay <laughs> so we have five categories here uh and we're going to go through them one at a time we don't really have any formal nominees but um just if you know the whole the whole summer schedule that's right. That yeah, that is the formal nominees. Uh, but it, you know, when you hear the the various categories, you'll you'll understand what is and isn't eligible. So, without further ado, we're going to give out our first award, which is the best movie of the summer blockbuster category, and Peter is going to reveal his pick for that category. Yes, so I would absolutely say that the number one is the newest Spidey. Um, I saw it on, you know, Premiere. I saw it in IMAX, you know, which I highly recommend for it. And the film just all around was uh, outstanding. Uh, Visually, the plot, just every single little thing about it. And... In particular, in Across the Spider-Verse, I thought the flow of the plot was remarkable. Uh, You start watching it, and then it ends, Mm -hmm. and that's it. You know, you're along for the whole ride. Um, And it's just really nice to see people, um, not A-listers yet, you know, like Shameik Moore, um, just doing a remarkable job. And um, I think as well... 
what was hard to do in this film is there's so many different realities and so many films have dealt with it. But I think this one really um, uh, displayed that in the plot in a really wonderful way. It was just so many different fun Spider-Mans, every single one of them great. Um, just enough information, you know, but it didn't become boring. You weren't hearing too much. And even though so many other Spider-Man still a heavy focus on uh, Miles Morales and, of course, Gwen Stacy. Uh, and I think Gwen Stacy, too, was a standout. And it was really mm-hmm. great seeing her not as a supporting, but as just a main character. And I thought that was really great. Mm-hmm. Um, and in particular, uh, like the visuals, the visuals were outstanding um uh, similar to what the film will be discussing uh teenage mutant ninja turtles but um mm-hmm. you know the first to release so it can you know it, it did it first and it was yeah magnificent um and regarding its structure being great all around uh, i want to say the villain too was outstanding everything was just uh wonderful and it was also the first jason Schwartzman i saw this year so it was the first <laughs> you know kind of uprise um so yeah i would say my number one blockbuster uh even though it's a part one which we'll be discussing mm-hmm. uh, i would say spider-man across the spider-verse 2023 my fave fave of the summer films yeah it'd be a tough uh if we had like a jason best jason's jason schwartzman award best uh yes it'd be, that'd be difficult. That'd be tough. that'd be tough that'd be a tough one yeah um yeah uh that, that's a solid pick um interesting we we get like two movies this summer which are about alternate realities and multiple versions of the same character and the one with like 200 versions of spider-man um is more coherent than the one with th- three versions of the flash but yeah, yeah we'll get there yeah well uh, it's kind of like um you just got to deal with it it's like ai ai is a part of everything in movie plots now you know <laughs> i just kind of right. don't don't let it ruin the the other great aspects of the film ai will also come up later um so my mind pick is uh, actually another Marvel movie, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which I think has kind of been forgotten. It came out first. It was the first big movie of summer. Um, and, you know, it was very successful. Like, I didn't look up how much uh, money it made, but it was closing in on a billion last time I saw. Uh, it is available on Disney Plus now. So uh, if you miss it in the theater, it's now easy to find. The thing is... Um, it closes out the trilogy, the Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy, in a nice way. Uh, there, you really do feel the consistency of that trilogy, going back and watching them, the first one, the second one, and the third one, even though all the Mishigas of the Guardians being um, key figures in uh, the whole Infinity War Endgame dyad. Uh, but it manages to work the things that happen in those films into the uh into the third film in an interesting way uh we get great send-offs for a lot of the great uh the key characters um there feels like it feels very natural and uh it was wrapped up in in loving care and i think that's a credit to james gunn who took these characters uh d-listers by any stretch of the imagination even amongst comic book folk and made them a-listers just you know, through sheer force of personality and his own talent, uh, his wit, uh, his, uh, his his comedy, his uh, his imagination, the whole uh, sequence that takes place on the uh, the living planet where all the technology is biological is is really incredibly inventive. 
And uh, I mean, it, Marvel needs the good news. Uh, I don't know. Did Did you watch Secret Wars or uh, Secret Invasion, Peter? No, no. I other than um, <laughs> I guess I, I watched. I totally forget its name, but the uh, the the one where it's like in the sitcom. It's like in the show. It's one division. Like, yeah. Well, one division. <laughs> I, I swear I watched it and it was okay. But no, I don't I don't usually watch the Disney Plus uh TV shows. I heard yes. uh mixed I heard mixed mixed thoughts about it. I think most people were just disappointed that Nick Fury's first uh where the first um MCU where he's the main character did not uh give him credit. At least yeah, is what I heard. It was rough. It was rough, let's just say. Well, it's too uh, bad because it's uh well, this is part of the problem too, but uh, I don't know her name. But Daenerys is, is in it too, and it's Amelia Clark. <laughs> Amelia Clark, yeah. So it's too bad to to always see that, to see a bump of someone who's still trying to uh, fight against a character they already played. She has a name, and it's Amelia Clark. Okay. Um. So let's get into our second category, which is best movie of the indie variety. Yes. Okay. So this. Uh, is one luckily i just watched it the other day i haven't seen an exceptional amount of independent summer films um i've seen many in the summer indie films like subtraction that came out last year but now getting a wide release in the summer that doesn't count so what i picked is and it just released on prime came out june 1st uh a thousand and one by av rockwell Ooh. um it is a just not biopic or anything it's just uh you know completely new story which i, I don't know if people are aware of those anymore but uh yeah it's uh i picked it because to, to view because it stars tiana taylor i'm a huge fan of her music and um wanted to see her performance and acting and it was uh outstanding um the reviews for the films again you know it's rotten tomatoes 96 um cinema score b plus um it's just a really really good film um in particular if you like tiana taylor i would recommend it um everybody else in it is great they're not famous so like you know if if you're looking for famous people it's you know uh, <laughs> other than tiana taylor they are absent but they are absolutely remarkable and the plot is very entertaining very sad um but some very warm hearted parts as well mm. but not in like a hallmark kind of way mm. um you know very very well structured um and it's tiana taylor uh comes out of rikers jail and she figures out how to steal her kid from foster home um so it's actually it's kind of about, not kind of it's about technically a woman kidnapping uh her child but you kind of are on her side but sometimes not it's just very interesting and it's one of those films where you don't like whose side are you on mm. um, and yeah it's just really really well done and also i i think just a a great look at the the foster system the pros and cons of it um or at least the way it is operated and what they deal with in the states so yeah, uh, 1001, it was a 2023 Sundance film, and it's now got a summer-wide release, and I highly recommend it, especially if you like Tana Taylor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been an interesting summer for movies about child kidnapping. Um. <laughs> yeah, true, true. <laughs> it's been almost a trend. 
Uh, I am kind of surprised at you, Peter, that you missed the the most obvious one uh, for best summer indie because it's a Canadian film uh, set in the region adjacent to the Guelph area. And of course, I'm that talking about is- Blackberry. I wouldn't even, I don't know if I would view it as an indie <laughs> film. Uh, also, did it come out in the summer? Yeah, it came out in May. <sighs> okay. Well, I, I will say that. It was, yeah, it was absolutely remarkable. <laughs> by my, um, Yeah, if you count it as an indie, yeah, I, w- I would say my, my favorite of the summer. Um, by, made for two and a half million, so I had to count it as an indie. Yeah, I guess it's just for me, I was, it's, it's produced by like our government so but no it can still of course be, be indie that way um so yeah i would highly recommend that absolutely well um, I, but I, I don't think but a thousand and one's great too i don't think blackberry is available yet unfortunately but it's I don't on know VOD. I it. is it oh, okay you gotta pay though a thousand and one is free on um uh paramount plus okay um, well it's not it's not a contest um but i i mentioned blackberry because that is my pick for best indie of the summer um so yeah uh the story of the blackberry uh device that was developed in waterloo it's spectacular rise equally spectacular fall jay baruchel as mike lazaridis kind of the brains behind the device jim balsilli who is kind of the business brains behind it uh glenn howerton um i don't expect him to be unfortunately part of the academy award discussion at the end of the year although he definitely should be mm-hmm. um but yeah, like it, it's funny, it's uh, dramatic, it's sad. Even though you you know in this area, especially you know the history. Um, but it also it rises to the the top of all these recent movies. We're talking about the Beanie Baby movie on Apple Plus, and uh, it's called part part of this trend of like origin story of brands so like air and flame and hot and tetris and yeah blackberry it's this is the best of that like sort of new subgenre of what's the story behind the brand and yeah or this specific product yeah, right and uh i think i hate to say it because you know blackberry although technically still exists as a software company um you know, it, it had a it had a spectacular rise, had a spectacular fall, and because you know the BlackBerry is gone, at least as a device, I think you know you can still go to the store and get some flaming hot Cheetos, but uh, or some Nightgate, uh, some Nike Airs, or uh, oh, and Beanie Beanie Babies, right? Yeah, think, Beanie Babies like, are shoppers still- with the sparkly yeah. eyes. Not my thing, but <laughs> but yeah, still available because the BlackBerry as a device is gone. It's an artifact. Uh, I think uh, this movie um, explains well this odd time, this very odd time where like before the smartphone was ubiquitous um, and how like as, as sort of like a key piece of the, the story of how as, as a device it became so ubiquitous. It's history that we're being lost, but I think now it's it's preserved forever. Thanks to this really great movie. Oh, absolutely. Well, and because it's uh, CBC, it'll be put into uh their uh, cbc archives so it'll yeah always always be with us well um, I'm, I'm sure i'm sure in, in a couple of summers they'll start playing it uh every year when there's no hockey on because I, well, I think cbc still does <laughs> play movies on saturday night when hockey's off season so well what i wanted to mention is in september um cbc is actually doing a television release of it and it's going to be split into seven parts oh, uh, really? and there's going to be some additional footage yeah 
So that I am very uh, much so looking forward to. And All right, we'll see what happens. Oscars. The mm-hmm. one, I, we'll quickly get to the one thing about the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Canadian for that to be allowed. Is there any laws? Like it, it, it's not by Canadian director or like product. Sorry, it's not by an American director or production company. But like Bon Joon Ho, he yeah has one too, I guess. But is it two think- Canadians? They're not enough American production for the Oscars. No, I it think could get maybe a best foreign nom. Maybe. It's, it, it, I think the international category is kind of meant for non-English language films. <laughs> but it did get a release in the States. Like, basically, it's just like you have to... I can't remember the exact rules off the top of my head, but it's like you have to have like a release for a certain number of days in like LA, New York, and a couple of other cities. And as long as you meet those like bare minimum standards, you're eligible. Okay. Yeah. Well, here's hoping it gets it on, but it probably won't. <laughs> well, that was self-defeating, but uh, so is this next category. The franchise that's in the most trouble. Uh, so, Peter, where where do you where do you pull for oh. this one? <laughs> well, I, I think, like, the, the DCU, right? I think mm-hmm. The Flash was an early um, summer release, and it just absolutely failed. Um, it made back none it just didn't make back <laughs> it lost it lost money <laughs> um, yeah and it what's surprising about that is the reviews were they were good it, there were good reviews the mm. audience reception was great you know it's honestly just ezra miller i think um and they worked so hard and it still did have negative effect on it and you know, all of the people who play Batman and Superman are gone. Um, and I know that there's an upcoming Superwoman or Supergirl. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, who is it? J.J. Abrams. James getting it going. He's getting it going, but I don't, I don't think it'll ever run to the speed that it used to i don't think it'll ever make as much and i really do think it's just because the flash lost them like 400 like half half a billion and didn't make back any money and uh, you know ben affleck's gone everybody's gone mm-hmm. uh, gal gadot's gone mm-hmm. and there just isn't as much dc hype by itself for the other ones to get an exceptional amount of views upon release um especially because i think it's great but it's not going to be someone we know playing supergirl right it's going to be more of a starting star so i think they'll do well and maybe even be great but they will not make the money that batman vs superman did it will not none of them will make i think you know a billion or close to it um yeah, yeah. It's... I, I think the flash just really just displayed that because again it was not it was not bad and ezra miller is a really you know i think uh, they are a like great actor. They've done bad things. I, I wouldn't watch their their works now either. But mm-hmm. yeah, there are so many great elements of the film, but it still failed hard. So yeah, The Flash and DC, the DC franchise, mm-hmm. DCU. Uh, I concur with that assessment. Uh, I think they uh, they they really kind of there was a lot of hype about the flash. Like people were coming out of cinema con going, Oh my goodness. It's the best superhero movie ever. And you know, when, when you start at that point, there is nowhere to go, but down. And so when people start seeing it, like I, I, 
I think there's an hour of good movie in the flash that's surrounded yeah. by another hour of expended universe nonsense. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, because they've already announced that they're rebooting it. Superman legacy comes out in 2025. So it's a new Superman, new Lois Lane, new everything. Um, David corn, uh, corn sweat and Rachel Brosnahan are playing, uh, Superman and Lois in that one. Um, and then, I mean, on top of it all, you know, going to Ninja Turtles, there was a Blue Beetle trailer in front of that. And I mean, it, it looks like Big Bad Beetleborgs, which was like a Power Rangers ripoff in the 90s. <laughs> um, and Aqu- like we haven't seen Aquaman, to my knowledge, is supposed to be coming out at Christmas and there has there. been not a single trailer for it. <laughs> well, that, I know that's worrying me, too. Um, it, it might be pushed because of the writer strike, possibly. It could be. It could be. Because um, I know the film was done, but uh, there's still, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, a whole diss right now because the writer strike. So, like, um, proper promotion can't be, you know, three rounds, of, three rounds of reshoots. And then, like, James Wan had some health issues last week. It was announced Ooh. his wife. So it's like, I'm not sure if Aquaman 2 is killing him, but it kind of sounds like it. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, it's it's not looking good for it. So I mean, there's all there's going to be. I think there's going to be a lot put on Superman Legacy that it probably doesn't deserve. But yeah, anyway. I think I think it will. It's just that it's just a Superman film. Also, my apologies. I thought it, the first would be a Supergirl, but um, well, Supergirl is in the mix. Um, yeah, in the mix, but it's not was first. It's like the first classic. The first, the first five films in the reboot are Superman Legacy. The Authority, which is kind of like a dark Justice League kind of team. Uh, the Brave and the Bold, which is like going to be Batman and Son, the, essentially the Batman and Son storyline. And there's a, there's also a Swamp Animal Thing Animal. film in the works. And uh, the, the last one, as you said, is Super, Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow, which is based on the latest Supergirl series. So, oh, but I mean, really? that's the, yeah, that's so the it's shit. Gonna ba- it's going to be based on the CW show. No, no, based on uh, the comic book series, the latest comic book version of. Super oh, okay, okay, thank yeah. goodness. Okay, no, no. well, that's sh- I like that show. Um, no, I know, I just you know, <laughs> I, I there is a difference between like a CW fun show and you know, right? Cinema. Yeah, fair enough. But I, I think to to speaking to Supergirl, I think Sasha Cali is probably done dirty, and I, I I liked her Supergirl. I, I I would be ashamed if we didn't get more of her. Anyway, um. Our first award is the Air Conditioner Award, which is, um, you know, back in the day, the movie theater was one of the only places you could go to find some air conditioning. So uh, this is in honor of the ideas, uh, you know, movie that's good, to, that that's a good sit that you enjoy. It may not be one of the greatest movies ever, probably not one of the worst movies ever, but it was a perfectly OK way to spend a couple of hours in air conditioning. So. Yeah. It's the most okay movie of the summer, in other words. So, Peter, what was your okay movie this summer? Yeah, uh, so this film, I would say, was a great okay out of 10. Uh, <laughs> and we already mentioned it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Beanie Bubble. I uh, I am a Apple TV Plus viewer, so I watched it when it came out. And I, I think it is objectively not a marvelous <laughs> biopic, uh, especially this year where where I've seen, you know, what we mentioned, like Blackberry, uh, Oppenheimer. Um, yeah, and it was, you know, not of that quality, but it was still at the end of the day, I found uh, quite fun. And 
good independent like individual acting it just didn't mm. really none of it really meshed together perfectly but i do think elizabeth banks and sarah snook were were great they were really mm. um they actually showed a lot of depth to the two uh lovers of of ty warner that um we didn't really have much information about prior so i thought that was impressive and both uh robbie and sheila very different um and both yeah portrayed great um and it, it's good seeing um sarah snook uh doing so well like we just didn't know her like it was she was big in australia we just didn't know her and then succession she just booms and it's really great to see because she's remarkable um including in this film i would say she's the best but elizabeth banks is is good they, they really are good elizabeth banks robbie and sarah snook is sheila their characters from a really good biopic you know what i mean it's just the film as a whole was not so great um and i also thought it's the first time i've seen her in anything but um she played an important role as maya the um receptionist slash secondhand man um mm. a secondhand man who got the pay of a receptionist uh <laughs> geraldine uh Viswanathan, she's really uh really good i'd only seen her in some comedies like blockers but um mm. she's yeah she's really good she was really really great in it and uh, i thought zach galifianox was okay too um mm. it's just ty warner was not it just wasn't really lovable and he was a very empty man. Um, so like Zach Galifianakis did as much as he could um, with Time Warner. Um, yeah. So I, the Beanie Bubble was a lot of fun, but you know, there's a lot of um, elements of it objectively, not of a high quality um, plot plots, kind of very basic and uh, a rush at the end. Definitely. Mm. And like I said, it's not Galifianakis's fault, but Ty Warner's not, lovable at all and not <laughs> and not like vicious enough to be the lovable kind of unlovable for mm. media viewing gotcha so the beanie bubble just because of that it's 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 good it's so it's okay it's an okay film okay and it's on apple tv plus so if you have it yeah check it out i'm kind of intrigued now um my air conditioning award goes to indiana jones and the dial of dentist destiny here's another film. i was thinking of that one too that's yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> here's another film that's like done dirty by early screenings this one at con um where you know it comes out this oh my god it's so terrible um and then all the you know sort of this <laughs> I, I was gonna say social justice warriors but like the anti-social justice warriors mm -hmm. on youtube who were like indiana jones goes woke and it's uh it, the, the discourse was so horrible it kind of reminded me of ghostbusters 2016 um oh, which is okay. which is another movie which is another air conditioner award movie where it's yeah, like it's fun it's fine it's okay it's not great it's not revolutionary but uh, what, what the thing is with i think both these cases is that comes down to it's it's not 1984 anymore mm -hmm. and uh i think that's a lens through which a lot of people are viewing and it, it, i think that extends al also back to kingdom of the crystal skull which as we reviewed on this show is actually pretty good it's uh, pretty okay it's it's it wasn't the end of the world when we uh took a, a new look at it a couple of weeks you ago. have a one of the two that you prefer dial of destiny or kingdom of the crystal skull mm, mm. I, I, I would give a slight I'd give a slight nod to dial I think because I think uh, it, it, I, I think I think it doesn't feel like a chore a yeah no like I think in the case of dial it doesn't feel like a chore 
And I think in the case of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, I think for a lot of people, it was kind of a chore. Yeah, yeah. But, like everyone on Dial of Destiny wanted to be there. Um, <laughs> so uh, take take of that what you will. But um, it, it's a perfectly fun Indiana Jones adventure. Harrison Ford is really good. Phoebe Waller-Bridge is really good. Mads Mikkelsen. Um, I mean, he's playing the villain for the umpteenth time. But I mean, when, when you're this good, why not? Um could have used more Boyd Holbrook, but you know you can't get everything. But um, it, it was a very enjoyable time. I left satisfied from Dial of the Dial of Destiny. All right, so now the most consequential award of this summer, Ooh. the best part one, and this is the one category where we do have nominees. So Fast X, Spider Man Across the Spider Verse, and Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One. Peter, what was the best number one of the summer? Okay, so, well, I already, I guess, for the best blockbuster, I already picked one of them. And even though they are my favorite of the part ones, Mm -hmm. I would say it didn't make it clear enough that it was a part one. And you could do that in a good way, Mm -hmm. but just for the sake to pick a different film, I'm going to, like, just cross that one out. It didn't make it evident enough that it was a part one. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the important part of reviewing a part one. (laughs) <laughs> and I picked thus uh, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1. And I think that's because it made it quite clear it was Part 1, but was still all around a heck of a fun time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like, uh, even though it didn't get as much hype as some of the ones prior, I would say it's my favorite Mission Impossible in the past couple. Um, it just really had some stunts that took me aback. Um, there, especially the, all of the... Um, in Austria-Hungary, the all the train scenes, all of the, that action, the flying in the air was really outstanding. Really, really did it for me. And it, a very great way to develop room for part two uh, through, well, I don't want to, I guess, it's already got a wide release, so I, and we're not reviewing it. So it, it does a really great job killing the one character. Uh, and the death of them is required for uh, all the, you know, the love interest and just Stakes. everything they want to have going on romantically in the upcoming one. And even though just saying that, saying that out loud sounds kind of <laughs> silly and just kill off one woman for another. But it was done so well. And her death was like, mm-hmm. she died with so much honor, really well done and mm-hmm. a very heavily clear part of a part one mm-hmm. and that's why i would say yeah mission impossible dead reckoning part one my favorite uh and i also thought even more than the ones prior vin rams who i love and simon Pegg got a lot of screen time mm-hmm. and a lot of like solo work the whole airport scene um they they have their own like dialogue and they're the ones dealing with it all and then um uh, Tom Cruise, Ethan Hunt is just kind of going around doing his own thing, and it's really more a Vin Ram, Simon Pegg heavy scene, and it's like a really not even scene, like there's there's multiple scenes in the airport, a really long portion of the film is is them, and, and it's it's really, it's a lot of fun. It's not even an action sequence, but it's so intense. Yeah, exactly. Really great, really great dialogue, and really great, uh, if you like Sudoku, and, and really those kind <laughs> of difficult, difficult puzzles, it's really great uh, action in that sense. Yeah, I'm brain, I'm also, brain action. I'm also uh, going with Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One as the best uh, part one. Um, also, 
I'm not sure where it's going to go because it's there's it seems like the movie ends like sort of like before the last scene, but there's a whole other movie left to come. Which yes, is, yes. It's kind of bizarre. So um, also, like, I, I can sort of see in the broad strokes where Spider-Man is going next. So, um, yes, whereas this one, I don't other than yeah, like what yeah. I described, I know who his love interest will be <laughs> like, that's it. Yeah, I know. Like we know who the team members are going to be. No um, idea what's going to go on with Gabriel. Like what his next plan is. Yeah, and there, there's a lot of stuff. Like there's a lot of stuff that, like a lot of the motivational stuff. Like who is Gabriel? Like we get flashbacks um, that show him and Ethan have like a past that goes like beyond like the the first mm-hmm. uh, the first Mission Impossible movie. But you know we don't really understand what their dynamic is, what their relationship is. So I imagine that's. And also, I or if he's even human, yeah, interesting question. Gabriel, <laughs> like I guess he's human, but he's you know <laughs> a very interesting, almost robotic in nature one. Yeah, that's an interesting question. So, um, also, I, I'm pretty sure we're going to see Mission Impossible Part Two before we see Spider Man Part Two. So, um, just f- just for the sake of like, you know, wish fulfillment. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so that's yeah, our summer. I think they need to promote it better because it did fine like it did especially uh, like internationally but it was still i think overall uh a disappointment which is, is rare for for mission impossible so yeah i hope more well i mean um, it also comes on the heels of of top gun Ma- well you know top gun maverick which was such a massive success that yeah, yeah and like since it's on paramount plus um a lot of people like still watching it so they actually maybe i guess should have waited a bit longer for dead reckoning well, but it was still great it was still great I mean, it was 2018 was the was Fallout, so five five years, yeah. Eh, 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 eh. Anyway, again, like the mission or uh, not Mission Impossible, the Top Gun, right? Right, no Top Gun, but you know, Tom Cruise made a billion and a half dollars last summer. He could, he could, he could, he can have it down here. I think that's fine. Um, we're gonna take a quick break and then come back with our review of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem you are listening to end credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM CFRU.ca Guelph Campus and Community Radio Okay, Batman. Dude, what? I'm just trying to hype you guys up. Okay, Give me that list. Okay, what else are we getting? Four quarts of non-fat milk, nice. ice cream, yeah. fruits and veggies, <laughs> no. and a party-sized bag of Cool Ranch Doritos. Yeah, I like cheese yeah. puffs. He was very specific about the party size. He underlined it twice. All right, Donnie, you're on toiletries. Raph, you're stocking up the pantry. And Mikey, you're on junk yes, food. Sir-ski. And remember, don't let any human see you. Because why? 
Humans are the demon scum of the earth. Avoid them. Don't say hi. They lust to murder that which is different from them. To interact with them is to die. And hey, I know that's objectively prejudiced, but that's what dad taught us. Okay, that was a clip from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. It's the new film from Jeff Rowe, and it stars the voice talents of Micah Abbey, Sharon Brown Jr., Nicholas Cantu, Brandy Noon, Ayo Idibiri, John Cena, Ice Cube, Paul Rudd, mm-hmm. and Jackie Chan. And uh, so this is actually the seventh Ninja Turtles movie, if you can believe it. The first is, of course, the, the 1990 classic uh, directed by Steve Barron the live action one it's kind of dark um, but featuring the um, the mechanical Jim Henson creature shop turtle puppets um, and then one year later we get actually almost like less than 51 weeks later was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 The Secret of the Ooze uh, directed by Michael Pressman which... That's impressive. <laughs> Getting the sequel out that quickly? Come on yeah. now. That's impressive. <laughs> well, it would be impressive if it was a decent sequel, but uh, perhaps most famous for uh, the scene where Vanilla Ice improvs the ninja rap in the middle of a Ninja Turtles fight. Um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, where they go back in time to feudal Japan. That was uh, two years later in 93. Then uh, we take a long break to 2007 with the first animated Turtles film, TMNT, which was uh, kind of um, uh, a direct sequel to the first movie. Um, And then fast forward another seven years to Jonathan Liebersman's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which is produced by Michael Bay's Platinum Dunes, uh, famously introduces Megan Fox as April O'Neil, but also famously has this all CG mocap. Ninja Turtles, which uh, there was a lot of controversy about because uh, they are kind of ugly in that movie. Well, and it's, I don't even think it's just voice acting. I don't even think there's any green screen. No, they were mocapped. The actors mocapped them. Okay. And that was follow, uh, the direct sequel to that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows, which was, I believe, the live action debut of Krang the Brain from Dimension X. Um, he had never appeared in live action before. And that brings us to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, which also has a number of firsts. Um, first time the turtles have been voiced by actual teenagers, which is interesting. Um, I thought that added a really interesting, a, a really like, it had like a real sort of genuine feel to it, I think. If I was a teen, I would love it if I knew that the voice actors, the teens were actually teens. Yeah, and Ayo Idibiri is the first woman of color to play April O'Neil, who, interestingly, in the original black and white comic books, was a woman of color. So that's a comic accurate betrayal, a <laughs> portrayal. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> so um, that's your brief history of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles through the movies. So, Peter, what did you think of the the mayhem of mutant, the titular mayhem of mut- mutant mayhem? Okay, so um, I did love uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when I was younger. I liked the uh, the cartoon, mm-hmm. whichever which there's probably multiple cartoons. Whichever yeah. one was for <laughs> my you know millennial millennial late millennial age. Um, honestly, there's a lot of great things about this film. Uh, for me, the standout, and it was not uh, what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. The soundtrack was mm-hmm. right up my alley. Um, if you like percussion heavy songs, then this film is for you. It was it was outstanding. 
Um, all like every single song was a lot like the first song used in the most recent Spidey film. Just really, really uh, outstanding and drum heavy. Um, in particular, uh, one of my most favorite songs of all time, "Riot" by the uh, South African um, jazz, you know, uh, pioneer genius uh huma sakala uh riot and that was just that was outstanding can i kick it was in there shimmy shimmy ya by old dirty word i can't say <laughs> um we got some lauren hill in there some buster rhymes gangstar it was just it, it was outstanding honestly if even if you don't like teenage mutant ninja turtles if you like um percussion heavy jazz or hip-hop i would I would highly recommend this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the the Ninja Rat Vanilla Ice is in it, which is fun, fun for nostalgia. <laughs> it's a good callback, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, fun, fun for nostalgia. Um, yeah, uh, I, I thought it was the one thing I do want to point out. I thought it was very strange because he's a very bad man. I like his music, but he's a bad man. There was a Kodak Black song uh, in the film, and I think as a mm-hmm. kid's film, and one that did try to deal with, like, you know, gender equality and... Um, you know, like gay rights and everything. Um, I, I did think that was strange. That that's a small thing, but since the music is one of the greatest in this, just wanted to say even it has a small little bump there. Um, he's just he's objectively a bad guy. Um, aside from the music, that's obviously not all that matters. The the visuals were stunning. I already mentioned it. They were uh very similar to the Spidey, but um, I would say dif- different enough. Um, I would say more. I don't know. What would you say it was? I would say it, it was slightly more resemblant of live action in this than it was in the most yeah. recent Spidey, but it was still obviously like a graphic novel uh, illustration. Um, well, and all I, of the creature, all of the creatures done well. I think the the cockroaches were were really <laughs> great. The scary looking, but then you know when they speak warm-hearted uh and that's another thing the, the voice acting was really great uh, i think people should know even though a part of heavy promotion ice cube and seth rogan like are in it but not they're yeah. not mean um, and they don't really appear until i'd say midway mm-hmm. um, but that even itself isn't really a flaw because it's just more dominant dialogue between the main four and, and, and jackie chan who i think is really good yeah um, yeah, the anim- I think Jeff Rowe said that the animation style was kind of like inspired by, you know, sketch book, like, you know, young artists and their sketchbooks and the, the kind of having this rough look. And um, yeah, I mean, yes, exactly. A- Whereas the most recent Spidey film, it's more like a painted illustration. Yeah, so there is even when there is like remnants of an illustration, it's a very it's it's flowed well. Whereas this one, like you said, it's yeah, more like rough sketches sometimes. So more harsh um switches to the next frame shot. But it, it like it's remarkable looking. It's great. Yeah, there's also I think some rotoscoping in it too, or what maybe looks like a like rotoscoping. Um you know, so it, it has a kind of very realistic feel at times, but it's also very rough looking. Um but uh, yeah, the animation is beautiful. I I I I was I digged it a lot, and that was one of the immediate takeaways of the trailer was the, the mm-hmm. using early '90s hip hop, which is very timely considering the Turtles, you know, r- rose to prominence in the late '80s and early '90s, and that's when hip hop. Yeah, exactly. The music, yeah, really correlates with uh, with the nostalgia they want to get across. And it would make sense, you know, for teens, you know, even teens of today, to find sort of uh, affiliation with that sound. 
And yeah, it, it's it, there's what what I think the film does well, um, and it's a tricky balance to be sure. Is I think it it's it's a great kids movie. I think it'll hit with the kids, but at the same time, for older audience members or the parents who are taking their kids who may remember turtles from their childhood i think there's a lot to attach themselves to here i think um having actual teenagers and also having them sort of like record together and sort of bounce off each other and 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 have that energy yes, and an overflow almost of their dialogues which yeah is, yeah. yeah so like there's a real authenticity to it i, I don't think that the, the turtles have ever come off as teenagers in quite this way which is i would forget the teenagers honestly in, in tmnt and even the cartoon sometimes yeah no you're right i like there's a scene where <laughs> they're talking to um to april on the phone and leonardo's voice cracks <laughs> and i don't know if that was intentional or if that was something that happened in in just the and recording it, either way there. they chose to leave it in because it they was... left it in because yeah. it's yeah it, there's it just that is something that would, ha would happen to you when you're a teenager 14 and 15 and you're talking to a girl on the phone um yeah. and yeah jackie chan what i like about having jackie chan as the voice of splinter is like there's a real warmth um to jackie chan i mean both as a as a performer and in this uh, generally and in this role specifically we don't typically get that warmth from splinter who's you know usually played as kind of cold and um kind of more of the stern like all about training yeah which i mean they had tony shalhoub as because i watched the two live action turtles the most recent live action turtle movies recently and it's tony shalhoub as the voice of splinter and he's all like you know uh father the Dis disciplinarian is <laughs> this severe voice performance and then jack chan although jackie chan's like warning him, like don't go near humans humans are dangerous they'll uh they'll milk you well, and, <laughs> and all this stuff um oh and my favorite too of when he's talking about that because uh, am i wrong or in the tv show and some of the other films he's a human that becomes a rat or has it always been he's just a rat that becomes more human i believe the correct comic book origin is that he is a rat who mutates okay like so it was, it was correct in that sense they literally show uh and he gives a story about it happening and it's so much fun just to see a little look at what his life and mindset was like when he was just a rat uh, i thought that was that was fun and just a quick little uh addition to add a bit of depth to mm -hmm. you know, in, in, in the original in the original cartoon i think he's a man who becomes a rat but in in the, the that's what i mean in this one he's a rat that becomes yeah but that's the that's the story. that's the correct comic book origin is that he's a nice, rat that mutates nice. um but yeah I, I also like how it's you know it's not this whole thing where he's like master you know that he was a rat who was owned by a human who was a great ninja master that this idea that they learned ninjutsu like from youtube videos and, yeah. and like exercise tapes and mm -hmm. kung fu movies so it's like you know they're not emerging into the film as these like fully formed like ninja masters with like precise textbook um knowledge of the practice like they've kind of put a hodgepodge together yeah, uh, yeah. Where, where they they are capable but they're also inexperienced um so you know you see this this great montage um set to um odb 
um, where they're fighting these human gangsters and they're kicking butt. Um, but then later, as they're like sort of fighting other mutants, they're you know they're not as um, practiced and they're not as um, smooth. And and I think that's that that adds a lot of. I mean, that, it adds a lot of it. It shows their level of power, which is really important to know about right. the four leads. Right. It, it adds, but it adds this level. Like they're not overpowered. Like there's, there's scenes in, like, not to go back, keep going back to other movies, but like there's scenes in the most recent live action movies where like they're people are like firing machine guns at them and they're like the bullets are bouncing off their shells and it's just like uh, you know I think we're, I think we're going a little too far with just how tough the turtles are. I don't think they were ever supposed to be bulletproof, but. <laughs> Um, there, there's there's a real kind of feeling like I mean obviously you're not thinking that they're gonna die at any point but you know <laughs> there, there there's actual stakes like they they can mess up they can get hurt um they're well, and also like you never know if Splinter's gonna die or not because he has yeah I believe so there's so. always there's always that uh, fear or that extra um, amount of worry that makes fights even greater yeah and I like that this isn't like fight to the death stuff like they 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 come across these other mutants and the the film makes clear is that they they kind of had similar experiences similar origins just you know splinter although his tough talk about like humans are awful mm-hmm. um they, they still have this grounding in sort of like humanity and in sort of being humane as opposed to these other group of mutants who are just you know kind of raised to hate humans and have this awful plan to get rid of <laughs> to get rid of humans again not to to you know turn drill the point home but the main plot the the whole thing with the 2014 ninja turtles movie was that um there was a plan to turn everybody in new york into mutants and that's kind of the <laughs> the, the, the the battle in this is that uh the bad guy wants to turn um i guess all the animals in new york into mutants so that they can eat the humans but uh yeah. It's, uh, you know, the, the motivations are kind of easy to understand. And, you know, it, it comes down to not necessarily um, a, a fight of good versus evil, but it's like we have uh, our, our Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles who we watch and um, we interact with uh, as screen characters as they struggle with. Well, here are other guys who are just like us, but they have this point of view that you know we can't abide you know there's there's kind of like this teenage peer pressure angle to this you know they want to fit in um but they also don't want to kill all the humans which would put them on the outs with these new mutant friends they make so there i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of deep introspection going on um Mm -hmm. which i found kind of enjoyable well and also what i really liked um is how they displayed which of the four was which Instead of them like wearing like just like headbands and stuff, even when they were just wearing regular teen clothes, there'd you know be like um, a blue shirt or a good Michelangelo, the orange one, right? He mm-hmm. would always wear like a little uh, like Hawaiian orange shirt and then you know, the purple <laughs> dude, a little hoodie with the glasses. You know, it really it's clear who they were, but not in your face. It's still just part of their natural fashion, um, and I thought that was fun. And I would say, even though great all around, they're their role like except the other beasts like seth rogan and you know uh ice cube i don't i don't think we needed as heavy amount of flashbacks to display how they became the way they were i think that was a little mm. a little too much um it was like interesting but um it was even longer than 
you know, the Jackie Chan quick little flashback. Uh, I, I don't know. I just thought that was really not, not, not so required, but that's the only really, really flaw I can, I can think of. Um, I also think, and this isn't a bad thing, but it is, mm. this film is fun for everybody, mm-hmm. but I would say there's some parts where it is definitely clearly for children. Mm-hmm. Not, not like toddlers, but for, <laughs> I would say preteens. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, at the very end, like when they walk into the high school and like they're really scared, and then everyone's like all happy and like rushes over, and it's like, oh, that's that's a dream come true with the first day of, of high school. Like that's that's fine. It's just for me, there was you know a print a pinch of 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 cringe to it. Um, especially <laughs> April, they show her locker, and it's like April O quote her with a question mark, but that's crossed out, and under it is um boss lady, and like I yeah. get that. I just thought that was a little like uh, in your face, especially as like the the finale where she was not even the lead. She was great. And that is great. I just thought it was a weird way to end it. Um, and just that last kind of, I guess, epilogue of them starting their new path was a little a little cringy. But I, I think also for kids and it's summer and, you know, a lot are going to be starting grade nine. Um, which is spooky. So I'm not even saying it's a bad thing. I just mean, if you're an adult, keep in mind, there will be a couple of things more evidently put in for, for children. I, I don't necessarily disagree, but I also don't mind that, 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 you know, it's, it's selling stuff. It's selling an idea of tolerance and acceptance and you can be a mutant ninja turtle and go to high school and, and, you know, take part and go to improv club and, if you're a rat who loves um, an insect, that's also fine. That's right. Yeah. You, a, a rat can love uh, I think a ladybug or something. I don't know what it is. Something. Some, uh, some bug insect. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's so hard to meet people. Inter, interspecial um, love. It's so hard to meet people your own age. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. But, that's the thing. It's um, we said it was a comedy and it really, it really is. Um, <laughs> and not like in a, a forceful way. It's just like genuine humor um not even all just like comic in your face humor it's just like fun jokes i mean my fear is of this is you know ninja turtles as as a concept are kind of uh, of their time which is why there's been such a i think filmmakers have had such a hard time like adapting them for um you know these times but like it turns out uh, the lesson is learned. Like the right filmmakers can find the the best ways to bring these things to the screen, and you know, mission accomplished to Seth Rogen and, and Jeff Rowe and their team. That, that mm-hmm. this is this is this is this shouldn't have been as fun for me as a forty five year old man as <laughs> as it was, and uh, I think that's to their credit. Oh, with, without a doubt, it was it was great. I really I wasn't expecting too much, and it was. Uh... It was great. It, it really was. Well, that's the end of uh, our show today. We hope you liked it. And if you want to listen to us again, you can find us on our website, endcreditsradioshow.com. You can download it from the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you're on Spotify, you can find the playlist for much other music that you hear on uh, this here show, End Credits. Just open up Spotify and search for End Credits on CFRU. You can find us on social media. We're on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show, and we're on Twitter at End Credits Radio. And Peter, where else can people find you on the internet? As per usual, on YouTube, and I'll call it Twitter too. Twitter, y- y'all know what it's called now. But I'm going to call it Twitter, uh, Mr. Tower Act. <laughs>
huge. So yeah, <sighs> check me out. Check me out on either of those two, y'all. Look, I'm not saying anything about the renaming, but you still go to Twitter.com to access it. I'm just saying. True, 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 true. All right, I'll be back here for another repeat of Open Sources Guelph tomorrow at 5 p.m. with Scotty Hertz. In the meantime, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson or go to guelphpolitico.ca, which is my news and politics site. And speaking of repeats, our show is going to be taking our usual summer vacations starting next week. And we'll be airing some repeats in this slot. But uh, by all means, stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. And though it will be in repeat form, we'll be back here next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for more end credits. And we will see you then. <laughs>